copy of God's Word. Turn on a Bible, whichever you prefer, but open up and get to Isaiah chapter 3. We are in a study of the book of Isaiah, and I started this study um, back in the beginning of December. And um, that first message was a flyover of the book of Isaiah. It talked about what, was, what we'd be looking at, what was, going, what was in the book of Isaiah. Then I went to chapter 1, and then we were into the Christmas season, so I went from chapter 1 to chapter 7 to chapter 9, and then last week back to chapter 6. So I, I've been kind of hit and miss all over the place. Now here's the thing. As I was going through our Christmas messages, even though that's where I was for all of you, in my mind, I knew where I was going to end up after Christmas. I knew I was going to end up here at chapter 3. Now, um, can somebody tell me, um, if you have a, a Bible, there's probably a heading over chapter 3. What does your heading say? Anybody? Judgment on Jerusalem and Judah. What's the key word do you think I've been kind of thinking about? Judgment. How many of you know preaching on judgment is always a fun topic? All right? And, and so for a, a number of weeks, I know this is where I was going to land. And, and even though I was preaching through Christmas messages, my mind was already on this idea of judgment. And so I was... I was been thinking about that because the reality is Isaiah talks a lot on judgments and there are a lot of judgments that he um, proclaims to the nation of Israel and to other countries and in fact I could probably easily minimal preach at least 20 messages on judgment because actually from chapter 3 through chapter 39, minimal is 20 messages. So I, I wrestled with that, and I've been pondering it and thinking about it and praying about it. Then last Saturday, I was watching the Iowa Hawkeye football game, the Citrus Bowl. Any Iowa fans in here? Because I don't want to offend anybody. And even if you are, I'm going to offend you anyway. Okay? So Iowa was playing Tennessee in the Citrus Bowl. So Iowa has a 10 and 3 record, pretty good. Tennessee had a 7 and 5 record. So by the records alone you think well Iowa should win. Well the reality is Iowa's football team really stunk. They weren't that good even though they had a 10 and 3 record. In the Big 10 championship they got shut out 29 and nothing by Michigan. And in the Citrus Bowl they actually got shut out 35 to nothing. Well here's where I'm going with all this. Pre-game, before the game even started, the two commentaries were talking about Iowa. And they were applauding the defense of Iowa, how good they were. But they were really just dogging on the offense. And they were just talking about, I couldn't believe they were doing it, how bad Iowa's offense was, even though they had a 10-3 and record. And they were just like, well, their third, third down conversions are really bad. Their, their running backs don't have very many yards. Their passing yards, their quarterback, oh, he's horrible. They just were just going down the list. Then finally, one of the commentators just was like, you know, we're not going to continue just talking about all the bad stuff on Iowa because that would be a bit redundant. 
but that spoke to me. And you can ask Paula. I told Paula, I go, I figured out how I'm going to preach about judgment. Because how many of you know preaching a message after message after message? If I went chapter by chapter in Isaiah, it would be message after message after message. Minimal, 20 of them on judgment. And I have a feeling that would become a bit redundant. I have a feeling I don't want to stand up here and week after week after week. Because how many of you know I can't spend judgment that far off? Okay, it's really going to keep hitting the same nail head. And I don't want to feel like I'm just up here with a hammer bludgeoning you every week or every other week. Open your Bibles. We're going to talk about judgment again today. Okay, I don't want to do that. So as I thought about this, as I pondered this, as I prayed about it, I am not going to preach multiple messages on judgment. I'm not going to do a chapter by chapter, verse by verse study of Isaiah to just keep preaching on judgment week after week after week. I'm not going to do that. So this actually, and if you remember, um, when I preached the very first message, the overview, I even said, I go, my goal is to go chapter by chapter. I said, I go, that may change. It's changed. Okay. Because the reality is um, chapters three through 39 there is a ton of judgment. And the reality is even that a lot of these judgments are predominantly and specifically toward Israel or other nations. There are, there's no direct correlation to us. So what I want to do is pull out some spiritual truths about judgment itself. Okay? So here's what I'm going to do. This week and next week, I'm going to look at five different types of judgments. Okay, and 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 through these five judgments, I hope we get an understanding of what judgment is. Okay, and so today um, I want us to look at two judgments, and here's the first type of judgment I want us to see and talk about, and it's this: it's the judgment for disobedience. It's the judgment for disobedience. This is primarily the type of judgment we see in the book of Isaiah. It is, it is Isaiah coming to the nation of Israel and even some other nations, and, but predominantly and primarily it's to the nation of Israel, God's people talking about the fact that they are sinning. All right, We saw this in the, when I, I looked at chapter 1. Isaiah just dove right into chapter 1 and, and telling and, 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 and preaching to the people of Israel, listen, you're sinning, you're living in sin, you're walking away from God, you're forgetting God, stop it, knock it off. And, and, and so you see this throughout, through the book of Isaiah, just him bringing this, these judgments for their disobedience. And, and he's trying to warn them, he's trying to tell them, look, because of your sin, here's what God's going to do. And he just keeps saying it. And he keeps saying it. How many of you know that would become a little bit hard to keep preaching every single week? All right? This is why I'm giving you like what this judgment is. But here's the thing. It's not just in the book of Isaiah that we see this. All right? We see this throughout the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. We see God bringing judgment toward his people, toward Israel for their obedience. Okay. Now, why would God do that? What's this all about? What, what is this judgment and the reason why God would bring judgment toward his people? 
Well, in order to really understand that, we got to get a back view of where it all began. And that, that comes with the nation of Israel when they, come, they came out of Egypt. All right? You know, remember, we had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And Joseph was taken to Egypt. And at that point, Israel began to grow. And they, the king, the, the um, pharaoh at that time said, oh, I don't like this. And he enslaved them. And for 400 years, the nation of Israel was slaves to Egypt. Well, when Moses grew up, God called Moses to go to Egypt and bring his people out of slavery. So when through the 10 plagues and, and Pharaoh releases Israel, now they're going. God makes a covenant with Moses. And Moses was the, the speaker of, of Israel. So when, he, when God makes a covenant with Moses, he's making it with Israel. And the covenant that God makes with Moses is pretty simple. He's like, Moses, I'm going to be your God. You will be my people. And I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bring you into a new land, and I'm going to make you into an abundant nation. That's a pretty good promise. Okay. In fact, in the book of Exodus chapter 34, verse 10, this is what God says to Moses. He says, the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any, done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. He's like, Moses, I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to do some stuff that is going to blow your socks off. I'm going to do some stuff where the people of Israel would be like, oh, I'm going to wow them. But the, the covenant, the promise was reciprocal, though. God was going to do some amazing things for his people. But he wanted two things from his people. He wanted them to trust him and obey him. He wanted them to trust that, hey, when I'm leading you and I'm taking you into some, some strange places, can you trust me? Can you be like, okay, we don't get this. We don't understand what's going on, but God, we trust you. That's pretty simple. That's a, that's a simple request, yes? And then he's like, oh, by the way, I also am going to give you some commands. I want you to obey them. And that was it. But the problem is people are stubborn. We don't want to be led. We don't want to be told what to do. We want to live life on whose terms? Our terms. And that even comes to God. So you have Israel from, from Moses to Isaiah throughout the Old Testament doing what they want to do. Now here's the thing. God told Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, he's like, Moses, here's how I'm going to set this thing up. If you will do what I say, if you'll trust me, if you'll believe in me, if you'll follow me, if you'll obey my commandments, Moses, I am telling you, 
I'm going to open up the windows of blessing and they will overtake you. God's like, you won't even be able to contain this stuff. That's how much I'll bless you. If you will follow me, listen to me, believe me, obey me. But he also says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, but Moses, listen to me. If the people of Israel choose not to do that, if they choose not to believe me, if they choose not to trust me, if they choose not to listen to me, if they choose not to follow me, if they choose to disobey me, that's fine. But curses will come upon them. The curses simply mean judgments. They will come upon him. In fact, if you even look at Isaiah chapter 1 here, we, we, we see this pattern even in, in Isaiah chapter 1. Chapter 1 is all about Isaiah telling Israel, stop sinning, stop sinning, stop sinning, knock it off. You're, you're drifting away. You're not following God. You're not listening to God. You are sinning. And he's trying to, to, to show them that. In verse 16, he's like, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds from, my, from, your, from before my eyes. He's like, stop doing it, clean yourself up. In verse 18, he's even saying, if you will come before God, man, he will make you clean. He will forgive you of all your sin. But verse 19 and 20 are the key. He says, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. You see, there it is again. He's trying to tell Israel, listen, if you'll just do what I say, if you will follow me, listen to me, trust me, obey me, you will have so much goodness. He goes, but if you choose not to, you're going to be swallowed up by the sword. Judgment will come upon you. Israel did not obey God. Israel chose not to listen to God. They chose not to follow God. They chose not to believe God. They chose not to trust God. And they did not obey his commands. And the judgment of God came upon them. And that judgment, a lot of times, it, it, you can find, you know, it, it's like sickness and disease, um, famine, um, physical or uh, financial problems, the conquering of other nations coming, on, coming in. We've actually even seen this in the book of Isaiah already. When the nation of Assyria came down into Israel and conquered them. Babylon did it again. Came into Israel and conquered them. All right? These are the judgments that God brought upon the nation of Israel. But the question we got to ask is, is, why would God do that? These are his people. I mean, doesn't he love them? Why would he judge them like that for their disobedience? It's simple. Like I said, God just wanted two things from them. To trust him. To obey him. But he also wanted to see a couple things from them. He wanted to see his people be holy. He wanted them as his people to become like him. He wanted his people, the nation of Israel, to be holy. Meaning to be separate. To be different from all the nations that would be around them. Because he was going to bring the nation of Israel into Canaan with a lot of pagan nations around them. And God didn't want them to be like, ooh, that looks fancy and pretty. Let's go after that. He wanted them to be separate, to be sanctified, to be like him. 
But here's the other reason why God wants him, why he wanted his children to obey him. Because God knows the moment my children choose, I don't want to do what God says, and I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. God knows where that goes. God knows where that leads. God knows the, the, the detriment that sin causes in our life. We don't get it, okay? We just think, well, if I choose not to do what God says and I just do my own thing, I'll be okay. And God's like, no, you won't. He knows from the very beginning of time what sin does to people. We don't. And the reason why God wanted his people to obey him is because he knows this is a guardrail. This is a border. This is a boundary. He was not trying to, you know, squash Israel's fun. He was trying to set up a guardrail. How many of you have ever driven like in, in the Rocky Mountains or in, in real rock, in mountain terrain? Okay. One thing, if, if you're driving on an outside curve, what is there between road and cliff? A guardrail. And you're hoping that if, if, if that guardrail, if you hit that, that guardrail, it's going to go and push your car back. The guardrail is up there not to keep, well, that guardrail, they put that guardrail up. I can't drive fast and have fun. No, they're like, no, if we don't have this guardrail up, you can have a possibility of going off the cliff. God knows if I don't put up a guardrail, my people will go off the cliff. He knows. And so judgment now, here's, here's a kicker we got to understand about judgment. Judgment is always God's last resort. It is never the first. Understand this, that the Bible makes it very clear, and we saw this last week. God, God has always been a God of love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. He told Moses, he says, Moses, I am slow to anger and quick to forgive. Even here in Isaiah chapter 1, we see him calling Israel, come, come to me. Just confess your sin and I will make, your, your sins have made you like scarlet, I'll make you white as snow. Just come. God's judgment, and this sounds like an ironic, like irony or, or a, a bad statement. God's judgment is always out of love. Always. Because when he sees his people driving off the cliff, do you think God's like going, oh, awesome. My people are destroying their lives. I love seeing that. I love seeing them, you know, just living and worshiping other gods. I love seeing them just whoring themselves with the, 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 the people over there. I love seeing how they're just, no. As a parent... If you tell your child to do something and you keep repeating yourself and they refuse to do it, as a parent, are you like, oh, that's okay? Or as a parent, do you have to discipline your child? Because it's out of love that you know, if I let my child just keep getting away with stuff, keep disobeying, that will be bad for their life. You try to teach them when they're young. So when they grow, they have some parameters. God is no different with his children. 
out of love, he disciplines his children for only one reason. He wants his children to see their sin. He wants the children to wake up, to realize we're in a bad place. We shouldn't be here. We've drifted from God. We need to get back to God. Let's turn away from our sin, turn back to God. Let's confess, let's repent, let's get right with God. That's the goal of discipline. That's the goal of judgment. The goal of judgment is never punitive just for punitive reasons. It is not God being an abusive father and and abusing his children. No, it is from a loving heart of a father toward his children, knowing where his children are going, and he needs to put a stop to it. And he tries to do whatever he can to get his people to turn. And when you read time after time after time, especially in the Old Testament, you see this pattern. Israel turns, Israel sins, Israel leaves God, God brings judgment. And they sit in that judgment for a season of time. It's almost like they're, they're, they're stubborn. I'm not turning, I'm not turning, I don't care. Oh my gosh, we've just been conquered by a nation. Well, let's see if we can beat them. No, we can't. And then eventually, the people are like, I don't like being here. Let's turn back to God. And when they do that, God forgives, wipes out the other nations, and the people of Israel continue on until they get stubborn again. In fact, the Bible even calls them stiff-necked, and they revert back to their old ways, and God will have to do it again. Now listen, and this is, this is for some people in the New Testament, for us as, as the church and believers in the New Testament, we don't want to hear this. It is no different for us today. We need to understand, listen, if you say, I am a Christian, if you say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are his child. You belong to his family. You are part of his church. You you are under the headship of Christ. So if you as a believer say, I am a believer, but I am living life on my terms. I am not doing what God asked me to do. I am doing what God tells me not to do. I am living as John chapter 1, verse uh, 1 John 1 chapter 1 says. John says it's like that there are believers who say, oh, I'm a believer, but I walk in darkness. It's my life. I really don't care what God wants me to do. I'm not going to do it. I don't care what God tells me not to do. I'm going to continue to do it. And there's no like sense of this is wrong. God tells me to do this. I should be doing it. God tells me not to do this. I should not do it. And, and the idea is, is we need to understand that if I'm a believer in Christ, if I'm his child and I keep walking according to my own ways, doing what's right in my own eyes, and I'm re- I keep refusing and rejecting, just like in the Old Testament, God sent prophets, and they would warn his people, and keep warning them, keep warning them, and keep telling them, repent, stop sinning, don't live like this, because God will bring judgment. And, he, they, and the prophets kept warning them, and it was up to the people to either believe or reject the prophets. They kept rejecting the prophets. Judgment came. 
Listen, we have God's word to teach us, to encourage us, to build our faith, but guess what it also does? It instructs us. It warns us. It acts like a hammer. It acts like a double-edged sword. It acts like a fire. And when we hear the word and we feel that conviction, we feel the Holy Spirit convicting us about something, at that moment, you and I have a choice. When somebody who loves us comes up to us and says, hey, I've been seeing how you've been living and it's not very good. And they challenge us. It's that, it's that loving rebuke and we, we, we have an option. Do I listen to it or do I not? And if you and I continue to reject and refuse the warnings, judgment can come. Now, that's where a lot of Christians get their, like, get bent out of shape and go, nah, man. We're in the New Testament, dude. We're under Jesus, we're under grace. God is not a God of judgment in the New Testament. Really? Because the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. To God, sin in the Old Testament is still sin in the New Testament. So we have to then ask ourselves, as New Testament believers, if I'm under grace, does that mean that I can do what I want and God will forgive me no matter what? Well, I think Paul gives us the answer to that in Galatians chapter 6. In verse 7, Paul writes, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. When he talks about sowing to your sinful nature, he's talking about this is your lifestyle. Here's how you're living. You're, you're saying I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but my life has no indication that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. What, the, what he's saying is a person who can sit there and say, I'm a believer, but live how they want is mocking God. And he's, Paul's saying, listen, um, God won't be mocked because he's still the same God. And sin is sin. And sin is still dealt with. Now, I don't believe when Paul talks about this, he's talking about a person who, because the Bible makes it very clear, we're not perfect, are we? We're still going to blow it. We're still going to sin, right? Okay, we have our moments. But there's a difference between a, a, a person who says, I'm a believer in Christ, and I'm wrestling with this thing. It's, it's the, what Paul talks about by working out my salvation. I, I'm striving for this thing. Paul makes it very clear that our, our flesh and our spirit wage war. They are at war with one another. 
okay? But the idea is, as Paul says about him, his own life, he's like, you know, the thing I want to do, I, keep, I, I don't want to do that, but I keep doing it. What I should do, I don't do. And he sees this wrestling going on with him. And he's like, God, save me from this body of death. Paul gets it. I'm a sinner. But one thing he says in Philippians is this. He goes, but what I do, I forget what is behind and there is a goal I want to achieve, and that goal is perfection. He goes, but I haven't accomplished it yet. I haven't gotten there yet. But one thing I'm going to keep doing day after day is this. I'm going to keep shooting for it. It's a striving. It's a, a struggling. It's a progressive attitude in my mind. I want to be like Christ. That person is not what I think Paul is talking about in Galatians 6. The person I think Paul is talking about in Galatians 6 is this person. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I know what the Bible says, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live how I want. I'm going to act how I want. And you or nobody else can tell me differently. That's the dangerous place. That, I believe, is the person that Paul's talking about in Galatians 6, 7. That's the person when I can say, I don't care, and I'm going to do what I want. That's the person who, I believe, judgment. Now, if you don't like the word judgment, use this word, major crisis. Or how about this one, fiery trial. Or how about just this one? Pain. If you don't like the word judgment because you're like, well, that God's not a God of judgment. He will allow pain into your life. He will bring a crisis into your life. He will bring a fiery trial into your life for one reason, to get us, just like Israel, to wake up, to see, oh, God, I'm in a bad place. God, I should be doing this and I'm not doing it. God, I shouldn't be doing this and I still am. God, I don't want to be there. The pain, the trial, whatever, however, whatever we want to call it, is God's tool to get us to turn. It is God's vessel for us to see our sin, to come to the place where we say, God, forgive me. And God, help me to honor you. Help me to walk like Jesus. God, I can't do this on my own, but God, I want to do everything I can to be like Christ. That's the pain. That's what the, 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 the judgment is about, to get us to back on track with God. So that's the first type of judgment. Here's the second one. Now, you see why I didn't do all five in one day? We'd be here till three. But here's the second type of judgment. Judgment from the garden. Now, before I dive into this text, when you hear point number one, and you hear that God will bring judgment because of our sin, you know, that, that maybe a crisis, pain, or whatever it is, here's the problem with, that some Christians hear that is this, because they've been taught Anytime you have something wrong in your life, anytime you have something bad go wrong in your life, anything painful in your life, it's because you're sinning. And you've got to figure it out and repent of that sin. 
So, well, my refrigerator went out this week, so I must be doing something bad and God's punishing me. I was, this week, Paul and I, we've been experiencing this. And I'm like, is God punishing us or not? I had to take my car in, get the battery. For some reason, they stuck it in the wheel well. I'm not going to try to change that, so I take it in. They changed the battery. I'm driving from Geneseo back to Woodhall. I'm outside of Cambridge. Next thing I know, I've lost all my gears and my transmission, except first. I drive from south of Cambridge, 22 miles an hour, back to Geneseo to the, the dealership. My car is still there. Yesterday, I go down in the basement, and there's a puddle underneath my hot water heater. That's telling me, hmm, we got to change the hot water heater now. So I'm going, wow, car bill, hot water bill, someone to hire to put the hot water heater. God, what's going on? You see, some people see that and have been taught there's sin in your life. You better find it and confess it because God is punishing you. The second point, I believe, helps us to understand Everything bad in your life is not God necessarily going, oh, I need to punish you today. There's another reason why bad stuff happens to us, and it's this point. It's the judgment from the garden. So if you would, flip back with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2 and 3. So in Genesis chapter 2, God creates every, or in Genesis, God creates everything. He creates Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God again gives some direction to Adam. In verse 15 of chapter 2, God says this: He says, He took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, but for the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for it. Eat of it, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God gave Adam free reign, except for one thing. Do not eat of this tree. Leave it alone, Adam. I'm commanding you. All right? So all Adam, now Adam has a choice, doesn't he? Do I obey or do I disobey? And that is the decision you and I have every day. Do I obey God or do I not? Do I listen to him or do I not? That is now Adam's choice. And so when you get to chapter 3, it says the serpent was more crafty than any other of the beasts. The serpent is you know, probably Satan um, and dwelt. And he says to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? How many of you know that's what the enemy wants to always tell us? Did God really say that? Is that what God's word really says? And the idea is, is to get us off the truth and listen to the lie. So if he can get you and I off of what God actually said to believe, well, this is what the culture says. This is what my best friend says. This is what my coworker says. This is what the news is saying. This is what Hollywood says. They must be right. And we listen to that. That's where we're going to fall. And so he's trying to get them to say, did God really say this? And he's trying to tell them about the fruit and, you know, well, God's just jealous and all this stuff. He doesn't want you to eat. He doesn't want your eyes open. And in verse 6, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. 
Loved ones, isn't that every day for us? The world looks good for fruit. It looks good for food. And the delights of the world, man, it entices, as John says, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It goes after us. And so she sees this and and that the tree was desired to make one wise. So she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Now, I read that this morning for some reason, just to go over it. And when I read that the eyes of, their eye, the, the eyes of them were open and they realized they were naked, I don't think it was just so much physically. They had a spiritual awakening at that moment. The eyes that they were open, wasn't there, they, they could see physically, but their spiritual eyes, they were like, <gasps> and the nakedness they actually saw, I don't believe was just physical. I believe they realized everything we had has now been ripped off of us. Everything spiritually that we had is now gone, and they are standing naked spiritually before God, and they realize the eyes of their heart was now opened and reality is now setting in. And now if you look at verse, so now God shows up into the garden and now if you look at verse 13, it says, the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? What an ominous question. What did you do? Here's what they did. They came up to a door with great big letter on three letters. S-I-N. And opened it up. And they made a choice. God gave them a decision. Do not eat of this tree. Because the moment you do, you will surely die. And they made a decision to go, we hear God. Hear what he's saying. But I think we have a better way. And they opened the door and sin came in. And the reality is when they opened that door, the consequences of sin rushed in like a tidal wave, a tsunami over just whoosh right into the world. And everything they knew, everything that they had, their lives were completely turned upside down because of sin. And it opened up and sin came into the world. Loved ones, do you want to know what? A lot of the pain and hurt and trouble and, and, and so much thing, a lot of the things that we experience in life isn't because God is like, oh, time to punish them. And he's just wheeling out like, you know, willy-nilly, oh, punishment on you, punishment on you, punishment. No. How many of you know a lot of the pain, hurt, and problems in our life is simply because we make bad choices? God lays out in his word, here's what I want you to do. But let's be honest. I do it. How many of we know God tells us what to do, and what do we do? I don't want to do that. And we choose to do it our way. And when we choose to live life on our terms, our way, and we start making decisions apart from God and his word, how many of you know it's easy to mess things up? 
God gives us outlines for finances. But how often do we do our finances apart from God's word? And next thing we know, we're thousands of dollars in debt. We are living beyond our means. And, and we're like, God, why did you do this? And God's like, I didn't do nothing. I've given you outline and you have chosen to disobey it. When it comes to relationships, don't we do the same thing? Marriage. God gives us outlines for all of this stuff and we mess them up because we think we know better. When we choose to sin, when we choose that, we choose to suffer. And that is by no means God saying, well, it's time to open up. We mess up our lives and we bring a lot of pain into our life simply because of the decisions we make. But now, look down at verse 17. So after they choose to sin, God now deals out the punishment. Now judgment is going to come. And he judges the serpent. He judges the woman. But with Adam, there are four things that I think distinctly stand out. He says to Adam, because you listen to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat all of its days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you turn, return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And I think there are four things that we see about life in there. The first thing is life is condemned. Cursed is the ground because of you. All we got to do is watch the news. And you look at hurricanes, tsunamis. You look at tornadoes. You look at just natural disasters. And you got to ask yourself, is God just like unleashing a, 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 every tornado upon this town and completely wiping it out because that town, was, something was wrong with it and God judged it? A hurricane that comes up the East Coast and annihilates it? Is that God saying, well, I had to judge the East Coast? A tsunami that just wipes out and kills 250,000 people and wipes out Christians and non-Christians alike? Is God saying, well, I had to judge them? Or is that just a repercussion and the experiencing the effect of what God said right there in that verse? Because of what you did, Adam, cursed is the ground. And from that moment, the earth, as Romans says, is groaning. It groans like a woman in labor. Why? Because it's cursed. And out of the flow of that judgment, guess what we live with? Natural disasters. Now, does God use maybe perhaps sometimes a natural disaster to bring judgment? Yes. But is every natural disaster that is happening on the face of this earth a particular judgment from the hand of God? Probably not. It's more of just simply this, the overflow and the effect of this curse. The world is cursed. The earth is cursed. It is broken. It is full of sin. And guess what? The things that we experience, all of these natural disasters, is simply an overflow of that. But then he also says to Adam, in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In pain. Pain. Let me ask you, does life ever get painful? Things like sickness and disease and health issues, relational issues, problems, pain, hurt. Let me ask you, 
Is that God just going, well, I got to unleash the judgment, or is it the overflow of this judgment right here? God tells Adam, Adam, all the days of your life in pain, you'll eat of it. We're eating pain all the time, aren't we? And it's simply because the curse of the garden brings it. So much of the pain that we experience comes from this verse. Health issues. Relational problems. Hate. Discord. All of it comes from the life that life is painful. We go, keep going down. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat the bread. Life is hard. Not every day. I mean, life is pretty sweet at times, but um, anybody else think life gets hard? Some days you just feel like, oh, God, just take me home. Life's hard. Life is painful. Why? Because God said it. Adam, because of what you did, because of the door that you opened up, because you allowed this to come into the world, now this is going to flow through generation after generation after generation until I fix it. And then the last thing we see is this. When he says, all this is going to happen to you until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And it's simply this, life ends in death. Life is painful, life is hard, and it doesn't get any more painful and harder than when someone dies. Death is always hard. It is never easy. Even if you're expecting it, even if you know it's coming, it is hard and it is painful. Life ends in death. Unless Jesus comes back to rapture us, all of us are going to experience that. Judgment is real. Judgment is real for disobedience, and that's why you and I have constantly have got to be examining our life. If something is going wrong in your life, man, back up and ask yourself, okay, is there something that I am doing that I shouldn't be doing or something I should be doing that I, you know, am I not living like I should? And ask God, God, is there something in my life that's not pleasing to you? God, is there something going that I'm doing that, that I need to take care of? Examine your life. Check yourself. And if there is something, if the Holy Spirit brings something to your heart, man, repent, confess it, get, deal with it. But I also think the second point has got to be a sense of relief for some of you, hopefully. That every time something bad happens to you, it is not necessarily God opening the can of whoop sauce and bringing judgment upon you. It could be simply the fact that you are experiencing, how many of you ever heard good things happen to bad people? Why? Because of the curse. Because of sin. We, are, we live in an earth, we live in a world that is full of sin and full of a curse. And from the outflow of sin and the curse, life is hard. Life is painful. 
and we are going to experience things. And the reality is you may be doing absolutely positively nothing wrong. You may look at your life. I know I'm not perfect, but God, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep short accounts with my sin. God, I'm trying to honor you. God, I'm trying to live for you. But it just seems like I'm getting barraged by one thing after another. And it may not be necessarily anything you're doing wrong. It may not be God doing anything to you specifically, purposefully. It may just simply be for the fact that you live in a cursed, sinful world. And unfortunately, because of those things, life hurts. Life is hard and it's going to end in death. What we need to do, loved ones, is you know what? Keep pressing on with the Lord. Let's keep examining ourselves. Let's keep, as I said last week, man, let's keep seeing the holiness of God. Let's keep seeing our sinfulness. Let's keep trying to be as Christ-like as possible. When we do mess up, Lord, man, forgive me. Let's examine our lives. Let's see the sin. If, it, if there's something there, let's go, for, let's go after it and say, God, Help me to deal with this. Let's not be, eh, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. Because if we just keep doing what we want and keep ignoring the Lord, judgment day happens. And so, loved ones, I want to pray that, that God will keep spurring your heart. Just keep stirring that thing to say, God, help me to honor you, to live like Christ, to walk in step with him, and not in step with my flesh. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's close with, I've followed Jesus. Just kind of, as we sing that song, let's sing that almost as a dedication to the Lord. 